Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you again. I'm looking around the room and it is exciting to see some faces we have not seen in a while. It is exciting to see some familiar faces and I know that uh, many of you are wondering what will the pastor say about recent events in light of what has happened this past week. Do not worry, we will get into that here in a moment, but I would be remiss if I did not uh, just uh, not to intend to embarrass anyone, but to uh, congratulate a few people that are here with us today. First of all, um, I, I meant to say this a little over a week or two ago uh, because I just thought it was amazing what God was doing in the life of our church. And I, in the midst of looking at the sermon and prep and getting ready to preach the gospel, I just totally missed an opportunity to uh, first say congratulations to Don and Charlotte Abernathy, who recently celebrated 62 years of wedded bliss. Correct? Did I get that right? Good. And, and I know Donald, Don's going to get me for this later because he does not like me putting him on the spot at all, other than I have told Don that there's going to come a point where I'm going to have him come down front and just share with us his wisdom uh, because the man has a lot of it. And of course, we'll have Charlotte stand beside him for the purpose of accountability. Um, because we all know, as married, those of us who are married couples, we all know that uh, that is something that our wives do well. Now, at the same time, as they were celebrating their 62nd wedding anniversary, that very same week, we were getting ready to celebrate Forrest and Stephanie Brown, who are back with us today, um, freshly married, married for what, two weeks now, guys? A week? One week. Holy cow. Newlyweds right here. And so praise God, they're back with us today. And they look so happy. Wow, this is great. They're still smiling. This is good news. So, no, I'm kidding. They're, they're just, I'm, I'm so excited for you guys. I was actually uh, just honored and blessed to just be a spectator at uh, their wedding and to watch that celebration. And it was just beautiful uh, to watch them covenant together, commit to one another uh, before family and friends and before our Lord and Savior and uh, man, just to see how God was glorified throughout that whole service. Um, and then they did by far what was one of my favorite things at a wedding. They served my favorite food group, uh, which was pizza. So thank you guys. God bless you for that. Um, that was a fist bump. You should. I, that was awesome. So anyway, uh, I think I'm going to now add that to my requirements. If uh, Now, Pastor Corey did a wonderful job leading that service. But if you ever ask me to lead the service, I think that's going to be a requirement for me now is there has to be pizza. I mean, that was fantastic. So say what? Put it in writing. I will. There's going to be a contract now. So anyway, welcome back, guys. It's so good to have y'all back. Congratulations to you both. Man, I tell you, we, I know, again, we are living in the midst of uncertain times. And so I, I call on these two couples. I did not have their permission to do this. So I will apologize to you both now. Uh, but I think we need to be reminded of what God is doing and what God has done, um, especially in light of everything that's happened in our country this week. So having said that, I want to welcome you back. I want to welcome you back into our study uh, that we have titled Letters from the Pastor. Now, again, if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking together uh, this past year. Uh, just before Christmas, we walked through Titus. We walked through First Timothy. We stopped for December to uh, study the Advent and what that means for us. And so beginning this new year of 2021, we are now walking through uh, 2 Timothy. And so with 2 Timothy, we clearly already know that Paul here is writing a very personal letter to what can best be described as his spiritual son in order to encourage Timothy and to continue to encourage Timothy to fan the flame of passion for Christ that he has and that what Paul has found within Timothy. And so for our passage today, we're going to see that Paul's goal is actually threefold, if you will. You see, he wants Timothy to see that Timothy should not be ashamed to share the gospel. At the same time, he's going to encourage Timothy to take on the responsibility of then guarding the gospel. And then with that proclamation, he's going to remind Timothy to expect suffering for the sake of the gospel, which each of these three challenges will also be true for us today as believers. Now, again, this has already been a wild week one in the life and history of our country. I can't even imagine 
what our history books will say about this particular week 10 to 20 years from now. Some of you have amused me already with your social media posts and some of you asking for a refund already on 2021. And so that's been interesting to see, but clearly we have just seen our country just unfold in a way this week that we have never seen before. First, we got to deal with the pandemic. We're dealing with a, a COVID virus that is now mutating and, and changing. We are now questioning our doctors and questioning vaccines, and we find ourselves arguing over what is right and what is not. If you were paying attention this week, whether it was in the prayer to open Congress or what transpired on Wednesday at the Capitol, we can honestly say that our current political system is now in shambles, and we can follow it up by saying on Wednesday, we saw what happens when angry mobs gather for the purpose of rioting. You see, for us as Christians, Christians all over our country, we now find that our attention has been divided now. We are concerned for our future. We are concerned for what may come next, whether it be political or whether it be a pandemic. And now all of a sudden as Christians, we find ourselves living in fear, in particular fear over the change that is coming. And sadly, here's the reality. In the midst of it all, we as believers across this country, generally speaking, we are beginning to lose sight of the fact that we are called to take a bold stance on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Timothy knew of these fears as well. Timothy knew of these concerns. Timothy himself found himself as a pastor of a church living in the midst of his own uncertainty. And so Timothy was given a word from Paul. Paul, who was his mentor, dear friend, and spiritual father who has now found himself in prison and near death. And so when we read these words today and we read throughout 2 Timothy, this particular word was meant to encourage Timothy and then ultimately to call Timothy to live with gospel boldness. And so that's what we will be reading today as we read 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We will begin reading Paul's words in verse 8. And once you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words written to Timothy. Paul writes in verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And so may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in this place and to study your word. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've already had to worship you in song, to, to sing scripture. Father, we praise you for that. We thank you for the opportunity today we've already had to hear your word spoken. We praise you that we can gather in a place as like-minded believers praying in your name. And so, Father, we pray that in these next few moments that we have together, Father, prepare our hearts for your truth. Prepare our hearts for what it is that you have for us according to your word. Father, may you teach us according to your word in these next few moments that we have together. May you and you alone be glorified. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word that we have with us. And Father, again, we ask that in these moments, may your name be lifted up above all else. Father, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we can already see, after encouraging Timothy uh, from last week, encouraging Timothy to develop his gifts and to live a disciplined life filled with God's grace, Paul continues by giving Timothy three specific challenges for gospel boldness. We see this in verses 8 through 14 of our passage today. And then what Paul is going to do is he's going to give Timothy three examples of individuals who have turned away from Paul or who have continued to support Paul and the work of the gospel. Now, if you are a Greek scholar in this room, you will clearly recognize that I did not give you the correct Greek pronunciation of those names. I chose the English pronunciation just for the sake of the rest of us who are in here who may not know Greek. So, Bear with me as we repeat these names again later in our text. But either way, in our passage today, we're going to take a look at three challenges that Paul considered urgent for Timothy to not only both consider, but then to also live by. And so what we're going to see Paul do for Timothy today is answer the following question. How do we now live with gospel boldness? Well, we see that answer in Paul's first challenge to Timothy. He tells him, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel. We see this in verse 8. You see, Paul opens verse 8 with the phrase, therefore. Now, anytime you see the phrase, therefore, you should go back and look at the previous passages because the word therefore actually connects our passage today with the previous section where Paul tells Timothy that God is the one who has done the mighty work both in Paul and also in Timothy. Paul continues to say from there, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now here is Paul reminding Timothy and us today that our witness and our sharing of the gospel is simply not about us. The message that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope that can be found in Christ, and the opportunities that we have to share the gospel, they will always be about Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to the local church, when it comes to the good news of Christ, when it comes to the the message of hope and mercy and love and victory that can be found in knowing Christ Savior our Lord, we are not simply selling an idea. We are not selling some sort of new society, nor are we making a political statement by what it is that we believe. Rather, we are telling and sharing the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this was important for Timothy to remember. You see, bear in mind that Timothy is the pastor of a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was full of idols. It was a city full of competing worldviews and religious systems. And so the people of Ephesus, many of them, believed that the cross was foolishness and therefore they had no problem mocking the cross, mocking Jesus Christ, and making fun of Christians. Now doesn't this sound vaguely familiar with what we are dealing with today? But now notice Paul's words here. Paul, in essence, says to Timothy in the midst of this mockery, do not be ashamed of the Lord our God. You see, Paul calls Timothy to embrace the gospel. 
He calls Timothy and us today to live for the gospel unapologetically, regardless of what the world may think and regardless of what the world may say. You see, it was Polycarp who, in facing martyrdom, said these words of God. He said, 80 and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You see, the reality for us today is we have all kinds of conflicting and competing ideologies. We have all kinds of conflicting and competing political statements that are being made that ultimately undermine the wonder and the mystery that is the power that is found in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, then may I suggest you rewind your week this week to before Wednesday and listen again to the prayer that is offered to our Congress. You don't even have to listen to the whole thing, just listen to the ending where a supposed pastor closed with the phrase, ah, men and ah, woman. Then fast forward another day. Fast forward another day where we see rioters attack our capital, and many who are interviewed said it was their Christian duty to do so. You see, the reality is neither of those moments, that prayer and what happened on Wednesday, neither of them reflect God at all. Neither of them reflect the glory of Christ. Neither of them reflect what it is that Jesus Christ has called us to as believers. And so the answer to both is no. You're both wrong. We also see today that we have groups of people who say that our beliefs as Christians and our values as Christians are actually archaic. We have groups that now want to sell us a watered-down version of Jesus Christ, and each of these ideologies reflect, or excuse me, reject a respect for the belief in the one true and living God. And so we should not be surprised when many come who will mock the name of Jesus But the reality is, as believers in Christ, we should be more surprised that in a moment where we can take a stand for Jesus, many of us stay silent. You see, it's in this moment that we need to pay attention to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, in order to live with gospel boldness, we have to be willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ. We need to be able to take a stand for the teachings of God according to his holy word. And not because Jesus needs to be defended. He can defend himself just fine. Rather, we as believers need to be bold enough and brave enough to stand upon capital truth, which means that we are to be a group of believers who now know and understand the truth according to the word of God as opposed to what it is that man thinks. Paul then continues in our text and he says, not only were they ashamed of Jesus, he says, nor of me, his prisoner. Now these are important words because Paul is now giving us a glimpse that not only are people scoffing the name of Jesus Christ, but now notice they are also mocking Paul because Paul has been both a faithful and bold witness for Jesus Christ. Sadly, there are those who have joined in on this mockery and the ones who have joined in on the mockery of Jesus and also the mockery of Paul are people who consider themselves believers. And so here's the truth from Paul today. Cowardly believers exist among us. Cowardly believers will often refuse to associate with brothers and sisters who are taking a stand for Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is we have a tendency to leave behind those who are being bold for their faith. Why? Because the reality is we don't want our faith to cost us. We don't want to be bold. Because we know what will come next. Now, is Paul here saying to us, let's go out and riot? Let's go out and and protest in the name of God? No. 
However, as believers in Christ, we do need to stand on capital T truth according to the word of God. You see, too many people are now turning to a watered-down Jesus. Too many people are turning to political ideologies in order to explain Jesus Christ. Too many Christians in our country are turning now to Christian nationalism, which honestly has nothing to do with Jesus. Because as a Christian, this place is not our home. You see, the reality is this. When Jesus Christ returns, America will cease to exist. There will only be one kingdom in that moment. And it will be the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that is the land and that is the kingdom that we belong to. You see, like Paul... There are going to be people who abandon us as well for our faithful witness. There are going to be people who are friends and family and dare I say believers in Christ who will abandon us because of our boldness and our stance for the gospel. And so we need to remember that we are not looking for the approval of man. Also, like Paul, we are not looking for chains either in order to earn the praise of man. Rather, we are to stand for gospel boldness in order to honor our Lord and Savior through obedience to God's perfect will. You see, we are called to not be ashamed of the gospel, which will then lead Paul to his second challenge for Timothy. We see this challenge in verses 8 through 12 as Paul shares with Timothy that not only are we to not be ashamed of the gospel, but because of our unashamedness of the gospel, we will now suffer for the sake of the gospel. You see here Paul in these verses turns his attention to suffering. Now, it's at this moment we need to pay attention to the, the, the 2 Timothy in its entirety, but not only 2 Timothy, but also the overall word of the God, of the word of God. Because the reality is this, as a believer in Christ, marked by Christ for the glory of God, we can now see and attest to the fact that suffering is a major theme throughout the Bible. And as we're going to continue to see in 2 Timothy, suffering is a major theme for Paul's letter as well. In fact, when we look at verse 8, Paul says, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You see, like Timothy, we too are weak people. We are broken people. We are just basic, common vessels. But by the grace of God, for the will and glory of God, by his power, we are now able to endure hardship. You see, Jesus, who is all sufficient, Jesus is the one who supplies us the strength to be able to follow in obedience to what it is that God has called us to. And no matter what is said to us, no matter what is done to us, we can now endure hardship by the power of God. This is why Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that God's grace is sufficient for us, for his power is perfected in our weakness. Paul then goes on to say to the church at Corinth, he says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul knew when he wrote to the church at Corinth, uh, the church at Corinth, Paul knew when writing to Timothy and in writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul knew that Jesus Christ is enough. You see, when we suffer for the gospel, we share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And we can also enjoy the power that comes only from knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so here you see Paul telling Timothy to rely on God's power. Now, why would Paul say that to Timothy? Again, I want to remind you, bear in mind where Paul is in this current moment, but also pay attention to this. You see, our natural tendency is to do everything else when we suffer except to rely on the power of God. 
In fact, when we do endure hardships, when we endure suffering, when all of a sudden fear creeps in, when all of a sudden we're afraid of, of what it is that's going to come next, we would do well to remember the words of John 15, 5, where Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is why I love the hymn, In Christ Alone. You see, when we sing these words, we sing no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. You see, we sing it when we sing in Christ alone. We have nothing to fear. Jesus Christ is the one who knows our days. He has ordained our days. And so we can rely in him with confidence on the power of God. So you see, when we, when we suffer, we need to remain in Christ. We need to abide in Jesus because just like Paul knows, Jesus again is enough. So now after sharing with Timothy how it is that we will suffer, which is in the power of God, Paul now shifts us to why it is that we will suffer. You see, the reason why we will suffer, Paul tells us all too well, he believed that the gospel was worth it. Paul believed that Jesus Christ is truly worth it. That's why Paul believed that dying was gain because it would mean that he would now be reunited with Jesus Christ in glory. And so here now lies the difference between religious people and people who are living in and with gospel boldness. You see, religious people find God useful. But people who are living in in gospel boldness, these people find God beautiful. And so we have to ask ourselves, what did Paul in this moment in our passage see in the midst of his suffering that made Christ Jesus worth it? When verses 9 and 10, he teaches Timothy that there is greatness to be found in God through salvation. You see, Paul realized that God had saved us. He shared with Timothy that God had called us and it was God who brought us to life. He then goes on to tell Timothy that God rescued us from our awful condition. And then Paul tells us that God called us to a holy calling. Another God calls us to holiness that can be found in him. And then Paul tells us in these verses that it is God alone who gives us life. We see this when Paul uses the phrase in verse 10 that God brought life and immortality. In other words, by God's grace, through Christ Jesus our Lord, he has promised us life forever. So now notice what Paul has done in verses 9 and 10. He has now taught Timothy and us today the power that can be found both in justification, sanctification, and glorification, and how each of these elements work within our lives all for the glory of God. Paul then moves on from there. And he teaches Timothy that the suffering that is found in Christ is worth it because in verse 9 again, we see that the grace of God is also now found in salvation. This is where Paul says, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You see, God gave us grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And God gave it according to his sovereign purpose. You see, our source of salvation is, again, not by our own merit, but rather it is by God's unmerited favor. Simply put, God saved us before we could even attempt to do good works. And so he is worth it based on what it is that he has already called done before we could even attempt to get started with what we should be doing. As believers in Christ, we should rest right here. You see, again, in verses 9 and 10, Paul tells Timothy and us today, 
that we are chosen by God's grace. We have been elected by God's grace. We are now kept by God's grace. And one day we will see our Savior by God's grace. You see, because of the greatness and grace of God, we can now remain grounded in the person and the work of God. This is why we can now say that there is, for the believer, there is life and then there is eternal life. In other words, there is no death for the believer. This is something we should be praising God for. There is no fear now in death. You know, when I think upon these words, I'm reminded quickly of one of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you have read books by Bonhoeffer. You've probably read uh, Bonhoeffer's story. You've probably read some of his essays. Uh, many of us have probably been influenced by Bonhoeffer, and we don't even realize it. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who lived during the time of World War II. And during his remaining years, Bonhoeffer found himself being called a traitor and put in a prison awaiting death, hopeful that he would be released, knowing that it was possible that it may never happen. And so we get this wonderful story about Bonhoeffer. He finds himself in this prison, leading worship services for the other prisoners. And every Sunday after a worship service, which was customary of the SS guards, in order to wear down the people, they come in after the service and they begin reading off a list of names. Names of prisoners that would be then taken out of the prison, never to be seen or heard from again. And so Bonhoeffer and the rest of the prisoners knew what happened. It was after one such service, after preaching a gospel message, an Easter message, if you will, that the SS guards walked in and they called the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They gave him a few moments to say goodbye. As the story goes, we, we read that one of his friends who ended up surviving hugged him. They both cried. And then Bonhoeffer looked at his friend and said, this is the end. And then his friend said, and then Bonhoeffer smiled and said, but for me, this is only the beginning. You see, we may suffer much in this world as Christians, but our hope does not rest in this world. Our bodies will get sick. We will face diseases that, that would scoff and laugh at COVID. And one day our bodies will die. But it's on that day for the believer in Christ, the one who has trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is on that day when we close our eyes here on this earth, we will wake up in eternity with Christ Jesus our Lord. And like Bonhoeffer, we will be able to say this is only the beginning. Imagine what that day will be like. see, the reality is there may come a day where we may suffer for the gospel when we proclaim it. As believers who are called and, and sent all over the world to announce the good news of Jesus Christ, to teach of the good news of salvation that can be found by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we now share in the same commissioning that Paul had and the same commissioning as Timothy as we are called to shine the light of the gospel to a world that desperately needs this message. Now, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden we need to walk around looking for suffering, but it does mean this, that as believers in Christ, we should not be surprised when suffering comes our way when we give witness to Christ Jesus. This is why Paul is able to say in verse 12 of our passage, which is why I suffer as I do. You see, Paul suffered because he spoke boldly of Jesus Christ. He spoke boldly of Christ because he believed that the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ was worth it. 
And so we have to ask ourselves now as believers in Christ, is the gospel worth it? Is the suffering that may come from proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, is it worth it? Is salvation in Christ alone worth it? Is eternal life reunited with Christ, reunited with God, is it worth it? Well, that's a question that only you can answer. But I can tell you my answer. My answer is yes. I would amen and affirm, Paul, it is worth it. If I have to suffer for the cause of Christ, then it is worth it. If God decides that one day in our country, it will be a crime to be a Christian and we are put in prison, then it will be worth it. If at some point we find ourselves overseas and we are killed because of our faith in Jesus Christ, then yes, even in that moment, it's worth it. And dare I say this, if Jesus Christ calls me to suffer, whatever the condition may be, whatever the disease may be, whatever it is, even if it's going to take my life, then in that moment, laying in that hospital room, it will be worth it because I still have the opportunity to boldly proclaim the goodness of Christ Jesus our Lord. My life is his. May his will be done. This then leads to Paul's final challenge to Timothy. Not only does Paul speak of how we are to not be ashamed of the gospel and he teaches Timothy that suffering may come because of our bold stance for the gospel, but then challenge number three, our final challenge today, he teaches Timothy that in order to live with gospel boldness, we are to guard the gospel. Again, we see this laid out in verses 12 through 18. If you look again at verse 12, notice what Paul says. He says, but I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, this word guard is actually a very interesting word. You see, when you study the word guard, it it literally is a military term used for a soldier that is on watch. And so Paul here says that God, God is the one who is watching his gospel. And no one, and I mean no one, can match the power of this guardian. So you see, Paul is not only confident in the personal security of his own future because of his faith in Jesus Christ, but he is now also confident in the preservation of the gospel, not because of anything that he can do, but because it is God alone who will preserve and guard the gospel. You see, God will always make sure that the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel will continue to move forward. And so Paul says this to Timothy in order to encourage Timothy to remember that Christ Jesus is faithful to his servants and he is not alone when it comes to guarding the gospel. You see, too often times I've heard people say this phrase, we are one generation from losing the gospel. No, we are not. God will always guard the gospel. Even if this world decides to shut down the gospel, if this world decides to burn every Bible, it will not happen because of the power of God. Now, if you want me to be honest with you, we may be a generation from losing the faithfulness of the church. We may be a generation away from losing what it means to be obedient to the will of God, losing what it means to be obedient to God's word. That could happen. But God's word will never fail. God's word will never fall. Verse 13 and 14, Paul goes on from there 
to Timothy, and he charges Timothy with these words. He says, follow the pattern on sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, here's what I want to do. I just want to highlight some key words or some key phrases here. We see this word pattern. Now, this word pattern actually translates literally into the word outline. And so Paul here is telling Timothy to take what he has been taught and to then now pass it on to others. In other words, he's telling Timothy to build an outline and then fill in the details. You see, the reality is for us today, we cannot adjust the message of Jesus Christ. We cannot adjust the message of the gospel. You see, Jesus is the foundation. In other words, Jesus is the outline And the word of God is what should then fill in the details for the believer. You see, that's why both Corey and myself are passionate about proclaiming the word of God from this pulpit. That's why we're passionate about singing the word of God. That's why we're passionate about making sure we take communion together as a faith family. Because we believe in the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness that is found through the very word of God. And so if we're going to pattern our lives after anything or anyone, let us pattern it around what God has given us through Jesus Christ, which is now found according to the word of God. Nothing else is needed. Nothing. As churches, we should be based and founded upon the word of God. We don't need lights. We don't need mirrors. We don't need glitter. Some of y'all chuckle at that. I've been to churches. I've seen it. I'm not really sure what the glitter does other than make a mess. All we need is the word of God. You see, here's the reality. If these lights were to stop right now, we still have the word of God. We can meet outside. If the air condition were to break today, would not be a problem. Wouldn't be. It's cold outside. We still have the word of God. If all of a sudden this building flooded again and every building fell, wouldn't matter. We're still the people of the God and we have the word of God. So here is our outline. Here is our blueprint, if you will. It is found in the very word of God. But notice Paul is not done there. He then throws out this word sound. Now the word sound is actually the word healthy here. You see, Paul knew that the gospel message, he knew that the good news of Jesus Christ was a message that was intended for the sick. And so Paul calls Timothy to give the people healthy teaching so that they can grow up in their faith and mature in their faith according to the word of God. But then Paul wasn't done there. He gives us another phrase. He gives us this phrase, good deposit, which is where we are to now care for the beautiful word of God. Now here again is the call to guard or to protect the beauty of the word that is the gospel. And in order to do this, we must be a people who study the word of God. We must be a people who read the word of God. We must be a people who faithfully listen to the teaching of the word of God so that we too can then teach the word ourselves so that people will know it and then it will then communicate to a world that desperately needs hope and that hope is found in the word of God and it's found in the name and person and work of Jesus Christ we are the carriers of that message and right now our world needs it and then here is the good news from Paul Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, he says, we do this by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. You see, when we guard the beautiful word that has been entrusted to us, we are not nor are we ever alone in our mission. God is with us. God is for us. God is in us us. This is why Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, in giving his commission to the apostles, he ends by saying, 
And behold, know this, hear this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're not alone when we boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel. We move from there into verses 15 through 18. And here Paul gives Timothy specific examples in order to reinforce his previous challenges. We see men like Phagellus and Hermogenes. Again, I understand I'm speaking English dialect when I say those names. We know nothing else of these two men, but what we do know of them is that obviously they were Christian leaders who mocked Paul and ultimately turned away from him. Paul then also goes on to say, and all who were in Asia turned away from me. Now, this is actually very interesting because Asia was the name of the Roman province where Ephesus was located, which is where Timothy was. So it's possible at this point that many believers, even in Ephesus, had abandoned Paul as well because of his bold and faithful witness of Jesus Christ. They probably looked at Paul and said, well, you're just a Bible thumper, Paul. You go do you, we're going to do us. Maybe they heard from Paul and said, Paul, you're the great missionary. Paul, you're the one that's called to go out and tell people Jesus, not us. We're just simply called to sit comfortably in our own service. I imagine that there might have been many in, in Timothy's church in Ephesus that said, well, we tried to tell Paul. Look, brother, you can't be talking about Jesus the way you do. You can't be being this bold the way you are. I mean, it's okay to, to mention Jesus every now and then, but look where it got you. Because of your faith, you're now in prison, and guess what? You're going to die. We try to tell you. Thank God I'm not like Paul. This is what Paul was dealing with. But then notice what Paul also gives us. He gives us a third example. A man by the name of Onesiphorus. Who Paul says of him, may the Lord grant mercy for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Clearly, we know that Paul was a relational individual. We know this by the way he writes to the churches. We know this by the way he wrote to Titus and also to Timothy. But we know that Paul was also a person who loved this particular servant. You see, this servant was a loyal friend who, like Paul, was unashamed of the gospel. He was also unashamed of Paul's current plight. So Paul uses him as an example to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus so that they will know what it means to live with gospel boldness and also how we as believers are to care for one another as we boldly live out our faith. You see, clearly Paul's situation in prison was bad. We know this because... They had to search him out. That's what the text tells us. In other words, Paul was not very easy to locate at this point. So we see Onesiphorus. And in him, we have a clear example of what bold, unashamed, and sacrificial service looks like for the believer. So it's at this point in seeing these examples, we have to ask ourselves, which example are we? Are we unashamed of the gospel? Are we willing to stand arm in arm with faithful believers, boldly proclaiming the truth of God? And I'm not talking about this, these Marxist ideas that are now coming from some churches. I'm not talking about this Christian nationalism that's coming from churches. I'm talking about brothers and sisters who are boldly proclaiming the truth of God. Are we willing to stand with them? Because they're being attacked. They're being persecuted all over our world right now. And sadly, many of them are being attacked within our own country. Are we willing to take a stand for boldness? Are we willing to faithfully serve, recognizing? And I'm going to tell you, one of the most beautiful noises I get to hear every Sunday is the noise of our children. I love the little squeams and skirmishes. I love looking at our kids. It blesses my heart to look, and when I see some of them are asleep, I'm not sure that means that I have a soothing voice or whether I'm that boring. I go with the soothing voice thing, okay? And I do that for you adults who nod off as well. I just assume God has put you in a posture of prayer and my soothing voice has led you there, praise God. I need to start a nap. But I love seeing our children. 
I love watching moms in the back of the room with their kids. I love hearing our kids squirm and smile. I love it. I love it. But the reason why I love it is because I realize that as a pastor, not even as a pastor, as a brother in Christ Jesus, my responsibility as a grown adult male is to lock arms with these families and to say whatever, whenever, I stand with you in proclaiming the gospel to your children. Whatever you need, I stand with you. Why? Because we are a family together. Because even I recognize that for my own children. I got one that's fixing to turn 13. I got to buy a bigger cage and a stronger lock. I realize that even my 13-year-old will one day move from my house. I realized this last night as we were having dinner together. And the words from our waitress just rang true to me. One day she's going to go. And I'm not going to have these moments anymore. And so in the time that God has given me with each of my children, my responsibility is to steward them well, to teach them the ways of God, to teach them what it means to be a faithful believer, to show them in my own life what it means to take a bold stance for Jesus Christ and to make sure I pass on to them the desire of gathering with like-minded believers for the, for the reason of worship and for the reason of holding one another accountable. My prayer is that my desire would be to share with them the same passion for the word of God. And if I've done those things, then by God's grace, I've done well. So which example are we? Do we mock bold believers? Are we ashamed of bold believers? Do we say, well, they should have never been in that position in the first place? Or do we faithfully serve? Are we truly unashamed of the gospel? You see, Paul here teaches, and he's going to continue to teach this to Timothy throughout 2 Timothy. He's going to teach them that there are all kinds of servants that are needed today in order to advance the gospel. We need all kinds. You see, the reality is we need more servants now more than ever who are unashamed of the gospel, more who are willing to live boldly for the gospel, more who are willing to invite people into their homes, more who are willing to sit down and have hard but good and necessary gospel conversations. You see, we have a message to share. And so let's share it boldly. At the same time, we need to realize that in the midst of sharing the message of Jesus Christ, we need to realize that suffering will come our way for the message that we proclaim. But yes, as Paul has already stated, it is worth it. And so at this point as believers, we need to guard the beauty of the word of God when others attempt to make a mockery of it. And so my prayer is that we will all realize that our sovereign God, our God who has saved us, is the same God who is now calling us all to be faithful kingdom witnesses and faithful kingdom servants. The message today is clear. Our call is to gospel boldness. Let's pray together.